you can be diagnosed with the hyperactive impulsive type or the inattentive type or what's called the combined type. You get the whole joy of it. Yes, the full spectrum <laughs> of it all. Suddenly, everything made sense. Pennies dropped into slots. I didn't feel badly about myself, but suddenly I felt a bit better. I mean, I didn't get brilliant O-levels, um, GCSEs. No, I did do O-levels. I was trying to pretend I was younger then, but I did do <laughs> O-levels. Hi, it's Nikki here to let you know we have a bit of a change this episode and the next one too. Um, Carrie has a radio show on Meridian FM here in the UK called Wellbeing Weekly. And she invited me recently to be on it to discuss ADHD and give an overview for her listeners. So I did. And we decided you might like to hear it too and maybe pass on to others you know. So here it is. Part two will be along in a couple of weeks, followed by Rollercoaster Part Two, that I'm sure you're all gagging to hear. Okay. Over to Carrie. Good afternoon and welcome to Wellbeing Weekly. My name's Carrie Overton. You're listening to 107 Meridian FM. Thank you so much for joining me on this very chilly afternoon. So coming up, slightly different to usual, we've got a two-hour special. You may have been hearing a lot on the news recently about ADHD. There's been quite a focus on it. Lots of people in the media coming out and saying, you know, I've been diagnosed with ADHD. Lots of information and some misinformation about it. There was quite a to-do about the diagnostic process and people having different experiences. And it's something that I notice a lot of my clients talk about. It's something that a lot of parents talk about with regards to their children. So this week, we're going to be looking at ADHD. As I've shared before, I was diagnosed with ADHD as an adult and I've joined forces with another coach with ADHD, Nikki Ship, who has previously been a guest on the show talking about her coaching business. But Nikki's joining me today and we're going to be talking about our own journeys with ADHD. And we're going to be talking about um, the podcast that we have just released together called The ADHD Connection. And also just to share some hints and tips, what to look for, what you might notice, how it looks different in girls to boys, how it can look different in adults. Just give some information out about ADHD this afternoon. So hello, Nikki. Hello. Nice to have you along. Thanks for coming back and talking to us today. So do you just want to introduce yourself to our listeners? I know you've been on before, but in case people missed that show, do you want to just introduce yourself? Yes. Um, Well, I'm Nikki and I've been a coach for a few years now. And before that, I was a designer. And actually, in true ADHD fashion, I was also a copywriter and a photographer and an art director and this, that and the other, because perish the thought I should ever be bored. (laughs) (laughs) And the same same sort of thing's happening with the coaching now. So I'm going in all directions, as you are, um, and focusing to some extent on the ADHD side, mm-hmm. but there's also the design side and the wellness side and there's a few other things. But I suppose my ADHD journey started well before anybody knew about this sort of stuff. And when I was a kid, I was classic ADHD. Nobody knew about it then. It didn't really become a thing until sort of the 80s or the 90s. These days, I'd, I'd be nailed on. They'd, they'd be wheeling me off to various people to be sorted out. I couldn't really focus on one thing, classic thing, you know, pick up a toy, play with it for five minutes and then get bored and then do something else. And my granny, uh, as you and I have discussed before, used to call me fidget ass, yeah. <laughs> which was a great description. Um, 
at school, I was moved to the front of the class because I was that chatty looking out of the window thing. In, in girls, the chattiness uh, uh, sort of shows up. Uh, sorry, the, the ADHD side, the, so the hyperactive side, which I'm being at the moment, the hyperactive side shows up as chattiness, which can be useful, as we're demonstrating here, but it comes out in different ways from the boys very often. But I was also fidgety, couldn't sit still, and found it very difficult to focus. If I was interested in something, I was a bit more focused, but I didn't really become interested in anything till I was 12. And then I picked up a guitar and I started drawing. I've just got ghost pimples. And those two things pulled me in. My mum encouraged me in both, uh, and to a certain extent my father, but mostly my mum. And that helped me start to understand that I wasn't stupid. I could do something. I was good at something, because my family, my brother and my parents are both extraordinarily good at all sorts of things. And so I started to grow into myself at that stage. So whiz forward, I went off to university, well, art college and I did my degree and I managed to focus on that and the more I focus in my journey on the things I was interested in this is classic ADHD the better my results the harder I worked the better my results so I got eight O levels but they weren't brilliant grades I got three A levels they were better grades and then I got a, a very good degree and then I got a job and then I got this and I, I'm, I'm lucky that I've managed to focus on something that's really interesting for me because where I think a lot of people with ADHD find it tricky is that some have got so many things they can do they don't know what to do so not one thing pulls them or they just get restless and bored and they move a lot. That's really interesting start and actually I think it's probably worth saying at this stage that ADHD although there are characteristics that are prevalent in most people and there we'll talk about the diagnostic criteria a bit later um, it's worth saying there are two types, well, three types of ADHD that are diagnosed. One is inattentive, which sort of lacks the hyperactivity element of it. Then there's um, the sort of hyperactive impulsive type, or you can have a combined type where you have all of those. Um, but but each person's journey and um, how it shows up in them is very different because it's interesting you saying about um, your O-levels sort of pretty average O-levels, slightly better A-levels, very good degree. <clears throat> Mine was sort of almost the opposite of that, <laughs> which is, which I think was also, um, well, it, uh, my, I did, pre I mean, I didn't get brilliant O-levels, um, GCSEs. No, I did do O-levels. I was trying to pretend I was younger then, but I did do <laughs> O-levels the last year. Let's just make that clear. Um, but I, I was interested enough in lots of things to do pretty well mm. in them. Mm. When I went to A-level, I struggled because you had to increase the amount of work and focus. And that's where my lack of focus mm. really came. It's also self-study, isn't there? Oh, I mean, organising something yeah. to, to yeah. you know, and we'll, we'll talk about that a bit later as well. Being able to structure and organise because I was listening to... Um, Scattered Minds by Gabor Mate, who um, is, you, you may have heard of, he he's um, a doctor, he writes a lot about trauma, but he also writes a lot about ADHD. And he describes sort of things that people with ADHD have in common. And one of them is a complete lack of internal structure. Um, and so for me, organising what was involved in doing A-levels was really difficult. But fortunately, my 
parents were on me enough to make sure that I at certain points was sat at a desk vaguely looking like I was working. But then when I went to university, I mean, forget it. It was hopeless. I couldn't organise anything. I couldn't get anything in on time. I couldn't turn up to lectures on time. I missed things. I didn't have the dates. And of course, this is all pre-internet. You know, the internet has made my life so much better because Google Maps, I don't get lost anymore. Mm. Being able to look things up and put notes and memorandums and text myself and things like that and have a timetable accessible and that sort of thing has made a difference. So it's interesting. Again, I just thought it was worth coming yeah. in there. Out of the inverse, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. There are things we sometimes say like, oh, that's typical ADHD, but actually it is a very personal journey and it shows up differently. Yeah. In, in people. So yeah. I just thought it was worth sharing that. So what, as an adult, brought you to the point of thinking, hmm, I think I'm going to go for diagnosis? Well, I realised reading an email, one of the healthcare emails that I got, you know, that just landed in my inbox was about a woman who was a researcher and she worked for an ADHD organisation in the States. And she was talking about her journey and how she was looking out of the window and all this kind of stuff. And she was reading this research paper and then she suddenly sat there and thought, oh my God, this is me. And she said, and if you're reading this, you might well be thinking the same thing. And I sat there and I, out loud, I said, yes, I am. I, I probably put an expletive in there, but yes, I am. And I thought, oh, and I think I was about 48 at the time. And so and suddenly everything made sense. Pennies dropped into slots. I didn't feel badly about myself, but suddenly I felt a bit better. And some people go through a grieving process when they're diagnosed and other people realise and other people like me, it's, it's kind of gives you this, oh, feeling. And then you think, oh, oh, so mm, that explains why I thought I was stupid because actually I just wasn't focusing. I wasn't working hard because I wasn't focusing and I wasn't interested. And all these, all these things suddenly made sense. So anyway, fast forward till when was it? Well, when I started coach training, the place we both went to. I started to attract ADHD clients and without meaning to, they just happened like the universe was serving them up. And I started to think, oh, perhaps I need to take this a bit more seriously as a niche because we're told that we have to have a niche, even though neither of us has particularly, although neurodiversity perhaps. But I started to think, oh, well, obviously I'm meant to be doing this, so I better get on board with it. So I started to research it and get interested and pulled into the hyperfocus. And then the more clients I had, the more they were ADHD, even the ones I didn't think were turned out to be and it was like oh okay so then I was thinking well if I'm going to attract clients in the least I can do is get a definite diagnosis and if anybody ever asks then I'll have a piece of paper or whatever to and it'll be interesting so off I toddled and that's why I got mine done. Right so it wasn't for you at that point as sort of you were you were fairly confident at the time mm. that you had it and and <laughs> I <Nailed> on. <laughs> yeah and I think listening there there are lots of you know, there are lots of podcasts and lots of information out there. And a lot of the podcasts, there's a great one called um, ADHD for Wellness for Women mm. by, what's her name? Kate Maria said. That's it. And that's a great podcast. And she talks about how diagnosis isn't essential if you identify mm. strongly with it, you know. For, and so we're going to go to a song and some adverts. Then we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the diagnosis process. So in today's episode, I am joined by coach Nikki Ship, and we're talking about ADHD. And 
you may not even know what ADHD is. And I probably should have started the show by explaining that. So it stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. But that name is in itself quite controversial. Mm. And a lot of people, quite high profile writers and experts on it, feel that it's very much a misnomer. It doesn't really describe what is involved with having ADHD. Sometimes people say the word disorder, again, is is you think of a medical disorder. If you have, you know, kidney disorder, it's where something isn't functioning. So again, Gabor Mate was saying in his book, and I really liked his take on it, that he said, if you think of order and structure and things having an order, if you experience a lot of the symptoms of ADHD, all of which is interesting noting lots of people have in isolation. Mm. You know, any one of these things, somebody who is neurotypical might say, well, I do that and I do this. And yes, you do. They are not in each thing in itself is not unusual. But when there is a collection of them and they affect the person who has them to an extent that their lives are impacted, that is when it becomes disordered as in their lives are disordered and he said he prefers to use that as an explanation of why it's a disorder so Nikki what was your experience of the diagnostic process well I found because there are such long waiting lists and so on at the moment I did I did actually talk to my doctor about it because I was thinking about taking some meds because I had a history of falling over recently, <laughs> doing stupid things to myself, <laughs> breaking things, mostly because my brain wasn't focused on walking about. It was thinking about 12 other things. So I talked to her about it and she said, I think we we don't need to in your case because you're, you're functioning generally. I don't really think you do need to take the meds. And I didn't want to take them anyway, although they're very helpful for some people, incredibly helpful, especially children. So I hunted about and I found an NHS psychiatrist who seemed to be pretty good and he wasn't too expensive compared with some and he was available so he and I had a hour and a half or two hours chat on Zoom one Sunday morning and he went through his flowchart of questions and the interesting thing was quite a lot of them were aimed at ruling out other conditions like ASD, you know, autistic spectrum disorder and I ended up as, if you like, just combined ADHD so I'm the two sides of it. And it confirmed everything I knew. And he said, technically, these days, you're borderline because you're managing it well. But he said, from what you said as a child, you were, you know, you were ADHD on the combined side. That's sort of similar to my experience. Mm. Um, I was diagnosed. I had to fill in, uh, my mum had to fill in a form about me before I was 12. I had to fill in a form about me as a child mm. and me now. Mm. And my partner had to fill in a form about me now. Mm. And he took all of this information together. And then I had an, like you say, an hour and a half appointment. Mm. Um, and then at the end said, yes, you know, this is classic ADHD. Now, I he, I was then offered medication as well. And I also didn't take the medication Again, not because I don't think it is useful. I have seen it and I know from clients of mine and friends of mine and family members that it is incredibly useful. And there are days when I think, <laughs> oh gosh, this is a day where I wish I had the medicine because I'm struggling with it today. But as we'll talk about in the second hour, I, I feel that I've got a lot of strategies in place now that really, really work for me. Mm. And so I 
so long as I stick to those things quite rigidly, I can, it, it gives me the structure and focus that I naturally lack that medication also gives you. And I was chatting to a friend of mine last week about this and she said, oh gosh, I couldn't be bothered with that. That's why I take the meds. And I think that's the thing. It is different yeah. for people. Yeah. You know, she just couldn't contemplate the thought of going to the organisational lengths that I go to to structure my day and mm. focus my day. Mm. So it's really important to have those two options available to you. So talking about diagnosis, you can only be diagnosed with ADHD by a psychiatrist or a clinical psychologist who is registered to do that in in the uk in the uk in america it's a bit wider you can, yeah your gp or the equivalent can actually right. do it but okay yeah. but here yeah. it's those so you do you do have to get to the diagnosis and a diagnosis is is what is needed if you have a child who you want to apply for an educational care plan so an ehcp and that's what entitles them to support in school so you would need a diagnosis for that however as an adult there are people, and I include myself in this, who can do non-clinical assessments. Now, this uses the same criteria, but doesn't give you a diagnosis. It indicates a likelihood. It suggests that mm. if you went for assessment, this is what it, the likelihood of the outcome would be. And uh, people like me and there are other people around can write a referral for you but also those are often taken into account for workplaces they're often enough for workplaces obviously each workplace is different you'd have to ask but but we use the same criteria so the criteria to diagnose ADHD if, if um, I thought I'd share this comes from something called the DSM-5 and this is where all mental health conditions are given sort of characteristics, um, aren't they? Diagnostic criteria. Yes, that's the word, criteria, diagnostic criteria. And so it says it's very, very specific. And and what it's very clear on is that you have to have experienced symptoms for over six months. You have to have had those symptoms in more than one setting. And that's very important because I remember when I was in school, sometimes children can... um, act very differently at home and at school and there can be other factors that are causing that so you have to have ex- you have to be displaying these symptoms in at least two settings so that could be work and home or school and home that sort of thing or or in a community so a church or a youth group or a choir or something yeah. like that and then this is the significant thing these symptoms have to be negatively impacting your academic, social or occupational functioning. And that's what I meant when I was saying about disordered. So you, you often hear people, like like sometimes people say, oh, I'm a bit OCD. Mm. It doesn't work like no. that. <laughs> or I'm a bit ADHD. It's the same. You know, everybody is a little bit, mm. has some of those characteristics but they don't cause you to be disordered they don't cause you to sort of malfunction as such not consistently anyway yeah. or persistently it, it, it's on a very ad hoc basis yeah so everybody forgets where they've put their phone or their car keys sometimes yeah but we, we may, for me it's kind of you know a daily occurrence absolutely I, I was trying to think the other day of how many unnecessary steps I do <laughs> every day. <laughs> you are marathon training. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I'm constantly like, 
Now where have I left my phone? Where have I left my glasses? Where have I done this? I literally had that in my hand five seconds ago. Now where are my keys? And <laughs> Can I just interject? There's, I have trained myself, starting with the help of my mum when I was about 11. She got me into lists and thank goodness. And as I realised a few years ago, she was as ADHD as I think. I did, she didn't know, but um, she's, she's died now, bless her. But I've trained myself to leave, mostly leave my car keys. As I come in through the door, they, they have a place on the radiator cover near the front door. Not in the sight of burglars, but, you know, yeah. so that's where they go. And almost all the time yeah. they're there. But the phone goes around the house with me because I'm listening to podcasts or I'm texting or I'm WhatsApping or whatever I'm doing, as we all do. And so the nearest I've found to a suggestion that might work for me, and it still hasn't, is that when you put it down, you almost see it exploding on the surface that you've put it. Or you go with your hand, I'm showing you, this is helpfully, uh, sort of lift your hand up as if it's exploded or something. That sounds like a really good idea. I just still haven't managed to do it. I still don't know where it is. I'm saying to my poor partner, my wife, and just saying, where's my phone? Yeah. <laughs> Can you ring it, please? Oh, absolutely. Anyway, sorry. That's to the only reason I have a home phone line, so I can ring my phone and find <laughs> it in the house. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then within that, the additional requirements for diagnosis are that symptoms have to be present prior to 12 years old. So that's why... If you go for a diagnosis, a parent, if you have a parent who is still alive or a parent who you have a relationship with who can fill in that form, it's really useful to see what they say and get their input and also your own experience of that. Um, And as Nikki was saying with her diagnosis where they were excluding things, symptoms have to be able to, um, they're not better accounted for by a different psychiatric disorder. Because there is an overlap, there is a Venn diagram with all these sorts of um, conditions. There is called a comorbidity, and so it, it's sort of saying, actually, would would what this person is experiencing be better explained by another condition? So once those criteria are met, it's looking at the inattentive type, which is about having poor listening skills, losing and misplacing items easily sidetracked by external or unimportant stimuli, shiny things as we like to call them, forgets daily activities, has a very limited attention span and that therefore they have an, it really impairs their ability to complete schoolwork or work work or other assignments and following instructions Um, and therefore they are can be avoidant or disinclined to begin those sorts of activities and fail to focus on details and make mistakes in um, assignments or schoolwork. Now, those pretty much are the criteria for the inattentive type. Mm. And so you'll notice, this is what we were saying, there's no hyperactivity in that. And particularly, I think it's often thought that ADHD, certainly in schools, certainly 20 years ago or plus, it's naughty boys. I'm doing inverted commas there, little air quotes. Naughty boys, that's what ADHD is. You see a kid running around all over the place, bumping into things, that's ADHD. But of course, for a lot of girls, they don't display like that, possibly because of this having this inattentive type. So they it may look more like daydreaming, um, not listening, but there's not necessarily the noise that goes with it. Or... As Nikki was saying, hyperactivity doesn't mean running around everywhere. So hyperactivity, and Gabor Mate talks a lot about this, is also 
talking a lot, that is activity, um, making noises. Um, so one of my clients, she was saying that she goes lip, yeah. lip smacks mm. all the time. And it can be things like hair twiddling, finger tapping. I'm a real leg jiggler. I was going to say the yes. knee. I yes, just... the knee. Uh, my the knee bouncing. Yes, knee bouncing, finger twiddling, hair twiddling, um, fiddling with jewellery or necklaces. Now, some of that can be a sort of stimming, self-soothing activity, but some of that is also hyperactivity. Mm. So looking at the hyperactivity and impulsive criteria, these in, so the hyperactivity ones are fidgeting and squirming in seats, um, fidgeting with feet and hands, restlessness, appearing to be driven by a motor, and we'll come back to that one. <laughs> I've just written that down for <laughs> um, Or is always on the go. Lacks an ability to play and engage in leisure activities quietly. <laughs> incapable of staying seated in class or at work um, and overly talkative and then the impulsive side comes in difficulty waiting turn interrupting oh <laughs> I find that so difficult not to interrupt and it's not because I think I know best or I think I'm more important I just get so excited about a conversation I just blurt and I've had to work really really hard on that one um, oh, and then the last one is impulsively blurts out <laughs> answers and things. So you can be diagnosed with the hyperactive impulsive type or the inattentive type or what's called the combined type. You get the whole joy of it. Yes, the full <laughs> spectrum the of it all. Um, and then you can be classed as mild, moderate or severe. So like any spectrum along the way. Now, I've been diagnosed with moderate ADHD. So there are people and I work with people as clients who have really severe ADHD. And again, that's when it affects their life even more significantly than it does for me. And there are people who have it milder than me. So like all of these things, there is, you know, a spectrum along the way. So that's just that little bit about diagnosis, which I thought was worth sharing. Nikki, do you want to share anything else? Um, I'm just looking through my list of things to talk about. Um, I think we can come back to it. Okay. Let's. Fine. Okay. So we'll take a break there and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit more about these criteria and significantly what is missing from these criteria. So I've just shared the criteria for diagnosis. Um, and, and the process, so if you have a child, you would go via your GP to get referred on the NHS. But waiting lists are, there's no two ways about it. Waiting lists are very big on the NHS, but there are um, options to go private. But it's worth researching them very carefully and getting recommendations. Yeah, and you can, you can self-refer for the private ones mostly. Yes, yeah. you can. So the criteria themselves, Nikki, are often seen as quite, limiting mm. within the ADHD community not that those things aren't part of ADHD mm. but there is an awful lot missing yes from that yes very restricted mm. it's kind of looking down down a pipe at it rather than seeing the whole thing so you're yeah seeing a, a small I suppose the mixed metaphors a snapshot yeah it's not the whole thing um you know they're trying to take a bash at it and that's fine and it's been refined I mean it's changed quite a lot I was listening to something the other day and they were saying it's changed a lot from the third version. This is the fifth version. Yeah. So there were quite a lot of changes, but there's a lot of talk in the ADHD world about it needs expanding. 
Yeah, absolutely. So from your experience, from your knowledge, what would you say are the main the main things that are missing from the DSM-5 diagnostic criteria, but that in the ADHD world and by experts in the ADHD are wi- widely seen as being another part of the picture that isn't in the criteria? Well, the one I know for sure is emotional dysregulation. Right. So we, we feel things as ADHDs even more intensely than the rest of the population. And we're, as specialist children, we're ill-equipped to deal with it. So we've, we've got more and we're not able to deal with it as well. Our frontal cortex is not generally linked to our limbic system. So our emotional centre, roughly the back of the brain and the front of the brain. So the back of the brain being the emotional centre and the amygdala and so on. And sometimes they're actually smaller because they've done a lot of brain scans recently and that we've been looking at on a course from King's College. And it's really fascinating. Um, so sometimes the brain can be actually smaller in certain areas, but also it's the connections between the areas of the brain. And everybody's different, as we said. So where were we going? <laughs> moment. So you were saying about emotional dysregulation. Yes. and then emotional dysregulation. Yeah. So that's a biggie. I was going to sort of just say what is emotional dysregulation means. Mm. So just to sort of elaborate on that. So as Nikki says, our emotional brain very crudely is at the back and bottom of our brain and our thinking rational brain is at the the front of our brain and there's this disconnect. So when you see, and it takes a while, these are developmental stages, which is why you have children having toddler tantrums because their rational brain is not yet able to take over and control the sort of emotional brain. Um, I said, these are really crude explanations just for ease. Um, And that's why children have toddler tantrums. And then they grow, you know, you grow and you learn to, um, you may feel things very acutely, but you learn to think them through and you gradually rationalise your responses to things. Whereas people with ADHD find that very, very difficult. Yeah, I was just thinking that they say, and I can't quite get my brain around this, but they say that children especially are about three years behind their contemporaries. What, children with ADHD? Yes, as in emotional development and just neurological development. Mm-hmm. And I was actually held back for a year. I still, I can't ask my dear mum now because she's not here, but I remember I was held back at about the final year of juniors. No, before that. I was held back a year, but then I magically caught up and I don't quite know how I caught up, but I was held back because my reading wasn't up to speed. All that, and I'm, you know, I'm a copywriter. Mm-hmm. So you, you do catch up. Mm-hmm. But as children... The development of our brains is not necessary, and this, this isn't for everybody. And I don't want people to come away from this thinking that they're mentally impaired. That's that's not the point of all this. We, I think we have loads of strengths that are wonderful as ADHD is, but as children we can struggle because we don't think the same way as our contemporaries. We don't necessarily fit the school structure the way that our contemporaries do, and we do need that sort of catch-up space. Absolutely. So emotional dysregulation is something that is spoken about a lot in. ADHD circles and a lot of I would say all without exception my ADHD clients mm. experience this so for example if you use the the analogy of a scale of one to ten of your <laughs> moods they live in the eights nines and tens and the one twos threes there's very little in the middle and people are often very either very cheerful or very down and it's it's being able to Find your strategies to manage being in the middle, Mm. would you say? Yeah, I think one of the big things that could well be incorporated is going to be RSD, which is slightly controversial in these spheres. Want to say what that stands for? Yes, I was about to. No, that's fine. 
Uh, it's rejection sensitive dysphoria. So we might say sensitivity, but you can argue either way. So rejection sensitive and dysphoria meaning inability to bear. And I know I'm less prone to it now because I've done a lot of work on this and I'm, you know, older. But when I was younger, I would, I, the equivalent these days would be you send a text to somebody and they don't come back to you in what you think is a, is a reasonable time. And then your mind starts going down a rabbit hole of they don't love me anymore. That's the basis of it. Or what have I done wrong? Or, oh, God, why did I say that? Or did I? And you go round and round and round in circles. And it's so easy just to go into a much deeper trough of despond and worry than a neurotypical mind in that circumstance. Absolutely. And again, that's something that I work with a lot of clients on, that inability to make mistakes, mm. um, fear of failure. And again, these are things that lots of people have but they can be quite crippling mm. for somebody with ADHD. Mm. So it's not saying that only people with ADHD no, no. struggle with making mistakes. Yeah. It's, the, it's the extremes with which it's felt. Yeah. Um, and it's a part of ADHD that a lot of people don't talk about and don't know about. Mm. And so I just thought it's worth putting those in before we sort of round up this hour. Yeah. And then... Coming up in the second hour, we're going to be talking about our podcast and why we started it and looking at some of the strategies that we have found and strategies from all the training that we've had that can be really useful to help people with ADHD put mm. some of that structure into their lives. Yes. And as I've just said, you and I have both worked through all sorts of things mm. and we are in a different place now from where we used to be. I mean, I'm in a different place from where I was a year ago, three years ago, five years ago, whatever. Mm. And the anxiety and so on is much less in my life than it used to be. So these things are, what's the word, mutable. You can yeah. change them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, that's a good message to leave the hour. And you, this is a, it is a journey having ADHD and you can really make progress yes. and, and come to terms with things. Is there anything you want to add before we move on? Yeah, there was just that um, when I went to see the, or when I saw the psychiatrist online, um, my opening line to him was, I don't particularly want meds, mm. just to let you know, unless you think they're important. And at the end, he said, no, I don't think they're, even if you wanted them, I wouldn't be prescribing them because I think you're managing well. But I do use a number of supplements and I'm not qualified to prescribe these for people, as it were, but I have the information. So if anybody's interested, I can pass on the information and then they can do their own research. Also, some of the supplements are just amino acids. They're not nothing weird or saff. Well, no, I won't say that. There are other ones. Um, but um, Andrew Huberman as is a neurologist or neuroscientist in America, Stanford University, and he has an amazing, uh, very lengthy podcast, which is very in-depth. And he's done one about focus, how to focus better. And he mentions quite a lot of these supplements on there and things you can do to help yourself focus. And that's Huberman Lab, H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N Lab. Fantastic. Thank you for sharing that. And, and so I would say the diagnostic procedure or, or process can be really useful for you if you know that you want medication um, because if you are diagnosed with ADHD, the chances are you will be offered medication. For some people, diagnosis is not that important to them. And that's where seeing somebody like me or Nikki as ADHD coaches, um, so I can run through the an, an assessment with you that offers, that, that sort of shows that likelihood. It uses exactly the same questionnaires, forms and criteria but because I can't diagnose, it just shows a suggestion of what, what that indicates. But more significantly, I talk to people beyond the questionnaire. Mm. 
So you do find out all that additional information. One of the questions I always ask people is what what brings you mm. to wanting this? What are you having experiencing difficulties with? And that's what they don't ask you in diagnosis. No. What are you having difficulties with? What would you like to change? Yeah. What would you like to be better in your life? And also what's good and what would you want to keep the same? You know, mm. I was concerned if I took medication that all my creativity and ideas and energy exactly. and everything would go. Exactly. No, I don't think it does. Having seen people, it helps them focus more, mm. but each person's uh, response to medication is different. But one of the things that I do when I go through this process with my clients is finding out that information because actually that's what we we can show what all the questionnaire indicates. But then it's like, right, now let's get on to the bits that you want to work on and you want to change. And that's what I felt was really missing from the diagnostic process. Totally. It's, it's treating it as an illness. Very and I think it's just, it's through me like Brighton Rock. And that for every challenge, there's a strength. And so the the classic one for me is I consider myself a, a creative person. I am by trade and also just the way I think. And if you said to me I could not be ADHD but I'd have to lose the creativity, I'd, I'd absolutely, no, no, please don't. No, I'd be desperate to keep it. So I think, sorry, go on. No, um, well, I was just going to say you've referred to, we've, we've talked about the process and you referred to the podcast. Mm. And that sort of brought me, brings us on nicely, really. <laughs> a sort of a bit of a dodgy segue there, but <laughs> linking back um, to our podcast, The yes. ADHD Connection. Yep. So what, because it was your idea, where did that come from? Oh, we love a cliffhanger. <laughs> so for the answers to that question and many others, including some strategies for dealing with ADHD, part two will be along in a couple of weeks. Also, if you'd like a pretty comprehensive list of ADHD characteristics, including strengths and challenges, please pop along to Nikki's website, otherwise known as mine, nikkiship.coach. It's in the show notes and I'll be happy to send a PDF to you. Thanks so much for joining us on our ADHD journey. If you can spare a sec, a review or ranking would be hugely appreciated by us. Five stars would be marvellous, but whatever you think. Um, every single one really does help. As well as on your favourite app, you can find us on YouTube and Instagram at the ADHD Connection underscore podcast. So we hope to see you on there. Thanks again for listening and bye for now.